sort of thing, and then we're up and running. Good. Well, welcome to session eight. Wow, session eight, eh? You've done well. You should get a medal for that. Certainly, silver one or something. Uh, in which is entitled "Handling Emotions Well." So I think we're going to be on page sixty-four of your manuals. I did hand out just a sheet of paper, but we don't need that yet. The sheet of paper is for a little bit um, later on. We'll go from the manual page 64. And just to say, the Freedom in Christ course is actually broken up into three, four parts. We've had A and B. This is part C, which is entitled Breaking the Hold of the Past. That would normally uh, as well include the teaching on forgiveness, and that would also include the ministry time session. So this is part C, the third part, if you like, of the overall course. So in this session, what we're going to focus on is our emotional nature, our feelings. We're going to get all a bit touchy-feely tonight because even though we've kind of been looking at through this course how important it is to believe truth, whether or not it feels true at the time, that doesn't mean that we should kind of just ignore, uh, suppress, deny our feelings. Our feelings or our emotional nature was created by God and somebody said, that it acts a little bit like a barometer of our souls. It reveals the depth of our character and the quality of our thoughts. And a failure to acknowledge and understand and handle our emotions well can easily set us up for a spiritual defeat. So this is a very important uh, session, uh, I'm sure, as you're well aware. It's so important that we handle these things called emotions well. So the first heading is we can't directly control how we feel. So what's the link between our inner and our outer person? In a way, how does our inner person, if you remember I was talking about our inner person, our soul, our spirit, how does that link to our outer person, our body? Uh, well, God designed them to work in union with each other. God's a perfect designer. And he designed them to work absolutely in union with each other. So if you wanted to look at the most obvious example of that, you would look at something like the brain and the mind. The brain, for most of us, is that part of the body which is an organ that simply tells the other parts of the body what to do. That's the brain. It's part of our outer, if you like, person. Whereas the mind, that's part of our inner person. That's down there with our soul and our spirit, if you like. It, that's where we process, where we think things through. That's where we make decisions. If you want to think about a good example, if you're like Joe and love things like computers and, you know, he's got his phone and his latest Instagram. You know, if you're technologically minded like him, which I'm not, you could think of it like this. That that was Annie's phone that went off for the purpose of the recording. If you use the analogy of a computer, then the brain, if you like, is like the hardware. The brain is like the hardware, and the mind, in some senses, is like the software. You know, when we die, our brains will, like the rest of our bodies, just return to the dust. But we're not going to be mindless, if you like, because we will still have our... Minds. We will still have, if you like, the software. 
And just like in a computer, the hardware can't accomplish anything on its own. It, it, it sits there, but it needs to have software in order to run and have something programmed to tell it what to do. And sometimes, as we know, tragically, people do have, in a sense, problems with the hardware of their brains, maybe something like Down syndrome or Alzheimer's disease. You know, there are people that do have problems, in a way, with that hard, you know, hardware. But the overwhelming emphasis in the Bible is, is not about the hardware, it's about the software. It, it, it talks so much about us, about the mind, on about us choosing truth believing it, acting on it, taking every thought captive. Because at the end of the day, a, a computer only works how it's been programmed. It's the software that makes the difference. So what can we control and what can't we control? Because the truth is that in both our inner and our outer persons, there are some things which are under our control, and there are some things, unfortunately, which are not under our direct control. Again, let's just think about this illustration of a, of a brain. Our brain controls our entire nervous system. And part of that nervous system is under the direct control of our will. For example, I decide right now that I want to move my right foot. I decide it in my mind. I tell my brain... Brain, move right foot. And that's, you see that? Fantastic, isn't it? I could do another example if you... That's how it works. But there is also an involuntary part of our nervous system. For example, the one that regulates our glands. The one that causes our heart to keep beating. It happens automatically. You and I need to breathe, and we need our heart to beat, but we don't need to stand here or sit here and going, beat, breathe, in, out. We, we don't need to do that. The, the brain still tells it, sends the signal, but it's done automatically. We can't actually control those things directly, and unfortunately, in a way, though fortunately in another way, our, motion, our emotions are like that. We don't really have direct control over the, the gland, if you like, of our emotions. And if you don't believe me then, just think of someone that you really don't like. <laughs> just think of someone, even right now, that you really don't look at anybody at this moment. Keep your eyes pinned on me, I'm secure enough to take it. Just think of someone that you really don't. It might be someone you know, it might be someone like Hitler or whatever. Now, tell you, yourself from your mind that you like them. It just doesn't work, does it? You just can't, you just can't do that. It's, it just doesn't work. You can't simply, if you like, will yourself to change how you feel. But what you can change your emotions over time by changing what you can control. And what you can control is what you believe, which can then change how you behave. So our feelings reveal what it is that we really believe. That's our second major heading. So what are my emotions? Well, our emotions really, or what, are the, what is the purpose, if you like, of our emotions? Someone said that our emotions are to our soul what pain is to our bodies. 
It may sound strange, but if somebody offered you the power to remove completely the sensation of pain from your body, it would be very tempting to take it. But actually, it would be incredibly dangerous for us. The reason why people with leprosy lose fingers and limbs and can end up dying is because they have no sense anymore of pain. And so they just don't know uh, when they are doing something which is causing great damage to their body. God gave us physical pain for our protection. If you're too close to fire, then uh, the reason why it suddenly hurts is because God wants you to move your hand away from the fire. Pain, I know it sounds strange, but is actually a gift from God for our protection. I remember for a long time, my wife Jane, after childbirth, had tremendous trouble with her lower back and pelvis. And when the old physioterrorist got in there and, you know, started to do a bit of that stuff, he said to her, did you have an epidural during childbirth? And she said, I did. He said, okay. I think that what's probably happened is that when you've had no sensation of pain, you've actually got yourself into a very funny position that you couldn't feel the pain. And that's what's caused you being, you know, out of line. So pain is actually there to tell us something is not right so that we can do something about it. And actually our emotions, our feelings are exactly the same. They're a gift from God for our protection. Not having the ability to feel angry or depressed or anxious might sound great, but actually it would be disastrous because they are giving us important feedback, messages. They're telling us a story. They're saying your hand is too close to the fire and you need to do something about it. You need to make some changes. You need to make some adjustments. So just like feeling pain kind of gives feedback to the body so we can make adjustments, emotions give feedback to the soul for the purpose of us saying something needs to change. I need to make some adjustments in my life. So feelings are a result of what we believe to of what we choose to believe. So although we can't control our emotions directly, what we feel is in a general sense the result of what we believe or choose to think. We've said that before on this course. And the trouble with that is that if what you believe does not reflect the truth, then what you feel will not reflect reality. Let me just say that again. The trouble is that if what you believe doesn't reflect the truth, then what you feel will not reflect reality. Let me give you an example of this. Let's just say that you know that in your company there is going to be redundancies, there's going to be job losses, there's downsizes, and you get an email that on Monday morning you need to see the boss at 9 o'clock. If you think that you're going to be laid off on Monday, lose your job, then all weekend you'll probably be getting anxious and worried and depressed because you're convinced that you're going to lose your job. And I suspect that by Monday morning, if you go down that road, you'll be an emotional mess. But actually, what you were thinking, none of it might be based on reality. Because suppose you get in there and the boss says to you, do you know what, in this terrible time of having to make lots of people redundant, we can't lose you. You're one of our most important workers. In fact, we want to 
give you a pay rise and we want to promote you. You would have spent all weekend feeling bad, feeling anxious, feeling depressed, when none of those feelings were actually based on reality. They were based on how you were interpreting reality, which actually turned out not to be true, but it was reality to you, and therefore your feelings uh, reacted accordingly. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah gives us a brilliant example of this kind of relationship between beliefs and emotions in Lamentations 3. And basically, to put it bluntly, Jeremiah is having a bad day. I don't know if any of you ever have bad days. Jeremiah is having a bad day. He is in utter despair because he believes quite wrongly that God is the cause of all his physical problems. I printed you out a sheet. And if you just pick it up from the desk, you'll see there that on one side you've got uh, Lamentations 3, verse 1 to 11. So this is Jeremiah, the mighty prophet of God, talking about God. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, his being God. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He, that's God has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. It's a bad day really, isn't it? He's not in a good place, is he? He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he, that's God, dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. So I say, and I would say Jeremiah if I believe that as well, my splendour is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. So there you go, Jeremiah concludes, all his splendour, everything he's hoped for, from God has gone. The question is this, is that what God is really like? Does God turn his hand against one of his servants again and again? Does God really surround his people with bitterness and hardship? Does God mangle them? chew them up like a lion and then leave them. Of course he's not. So what's the problem here? Well, the problem is that Jeremiah believed that God did, that God is like this, that God has done all these things. What Jeremiah had chosen to believe about God simply wasn't true, but it was very true to Jeremiah at this point because that's what he had chosen to believe. He'd chosen to believe that God had walled him in, that God had mangled him like a wild animal. And I suppose if that was your or my belief in God, and you'd put our, you know, we'd put our hope in him, then I think we'd be depressed as well. And that's where Jeremiah is. However, you know, Jeremiah doesn't leave it there, but he had a change of mind and a change of perspective. 
And the passage continues with him saying this, and if you cleverly, by the power of modern technology, turn over your piece of paper, you'll see Lamentations 3, verse 19 to 24, second half of the page. And this is then what Jeremiah says. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. That's an understatement of the year there, Jeremiah. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Everything changed for Jeremiah when he basically told himself to get a grip and as he called to mind God's great faithfulness, then suddenly he had hope again. The question, what's changed in the situation and the circumstances that he's in? Absolutely nothing. Nothing has changed. Jeremiah's circumstances haven't changed. God hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is that Jer- is in Jeremiah's mind and how he now views his circumstances and how he now views God lines up with the truth rather than lining up with things that are untrue about God. You see, often life's events don't determine who you are or what you feel. It's our perception often of those events that matter. If what you believe does not reflect the truth, then what you feel will not reflect reality. So the more we commit to truth and choosing to believe that what God says is true, the more we begin to see our circumstances, if you like, from God's perspective. We start to see them with God's truth in them. And then the less our feelings can run away with us until, like Jeremiah, we end up seeing God as one who would mangle us and devour us like a lion and leave us for dead. So, changing how we feel. So I think the big question for many people is this. But if we are overwhelmed by difficult circumstances, maybe from the past or maybe from the present, which kind of cause us to be plagued by negative emotions, what can we do about it? What can we do about these negative emotions from our past or our present if they keep on rising, if you like, within us. Well, let's think about what happens when the entire Israelite army came up against the Philistine army. Now, the Philistines, they were saying, do you know what? We don't want a bloodbath. There's no point all of us fighting each other. Why don't we pick a champion and you Israelites pick a champion? Our two champions can fight it out and whoever wins, they win the battle. Which was okay for the Philistines, because they knew that in their ranks, they had a guy called Goliath, who was a giant. So for them, it was kind of quite a good deal. But of course, this completely freaks out and stresses out the Israelite army, who, as you know from the story, didn't have a giant to fight for them. And the Israelites spend a number of days Worrying, anxious, panicking, what are they going to do? Until a little boy called David comes along with his catapult. 
And he declares this. Basically, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? And you know the story. This little boy, David, with his catapult, goes into fight against the giant Goliath, gets a stone, whips it round, one shot in the head, Goliath killed. Now just think about it. It's a great story, isn't it, David and Goliath? We, 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 we like the story. But just think, just think about it. Both David and the Israelite army were confronted by exactly the same situation. They had exactly the same information, situations presented to them. But the Israelites, they saw the giant in relationship to themselves. And they were afraid. But David saw the giant in relationship to God. And he wasn't afraid at all. See, who saw the situation as it really was? It was David who saw things as they really were. He was the one who saw truth. So we're not so much affected by our environment and circumstances, but it's often it's about how we see the environment, how we see the circumstances. And faith in God kind of can make that kind of difference in our lives because it's not often about taking these massive blind steps of faith. It's actually about recognising what is true and real, that God is bigger than every situation and circumstance. It's about lining ourselves up with David rather than lining ourselves up with the Israelite army. When you and I are confronted with a situation and we feel overwhelmed and we get stressed, you know, from it, we have to think to ourselves, now hang on a second, this situation may be too big and overwhelming for me, but it's not too big and overwhelming for me and God. And that's exactly the way that David saw that situation when the entire Israelite army completely missed it. You see, our senses, our sight, our touch, our taste, our, our memory in terms of experience, picks up what is happening but then it it passes if you like you know information to the brain so in this situation they all saw the same giant they all probably kind of smelt the fear around the place they all had the same and all that information went into their brains but it's then our mind that if you like interprets that data it's the mind that then determines how we feel about it. Their minds said, oh my goodness, he's big, we're small, he's mad, we're not so mad, he's going to kill us, we're now scared and worried. It's the mind that then takes that, if you like, that final uh, interpretation of what's going on. Whereas for David, his mind, picked, his brain picked up exactly the same thing. But his mind went along the lines of, yeah, he's big, yeah, he's tough, but my God's bigger. And therefore he felt and acted in a completely different way. And if our minds are programmed differently to somebody else's, then you can be in exactly the same situation, have exactly the same data, exactly the same information, and interpret it completely different. And a, a major cause of stress <laughs> is that we come to believe, if you like, through past experience or through failures that we kind of we can't do anything about things. Oh no, history's going to repeat itself. 
oh, this is going to go bad again. It's like we almost learn this sense of helplessness and hopelessness. It's like what happened with the Israelite army? Oh, there's another giant. Oh, there's another giant. Oh, they're going to... And it, that's what can happen. But the truth is, as Christians, we're never helpless. We're never hopeless because we've always got God with us. So if you like, a healing can come as we change that sense of hopelessness and helplessness by changing the software, changing what's going on in our minds. It's why the Bible calls us to renew our minds. It's about understanding and believing what's really true about God than, if you like, what experience or others or the lies that people have said about you or over you or the traumatic experiences that you've been through. It's about learning to believe that actually God is true and real and bigger. And it's about committing ourselves to believe that what God says is true, even if in the early stages it kind of may not feel true. Because as I said before, how we feel is not shaped so much by the events that happen, but it's they're much more determined by how we see those events, how we view them, what's going on in our mind as we think about them. And so to remain balanced, we must ensure that we are looking at things and looking at events and circumstances in a healthy way which actually reflects reality. So I'll say it again, if what we believe does not reflect truth, then what we feel will not reflect reality. I think I'm going to just halt there for this first talk. If you just open up your uh, books to page 65.